Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for March 3. My name is John Mason. It's great you could join us. Aspects of Christianity can seem far-fetched to our 21st century minds. The account of Jesus' transfiguration, for example. But before we dismiss such events as pure fiction, it's worth remembering G.K. Chesterton's words about truth and fiction. Truth must necessarily be stranger than fiction, he said, for fiction is the creation of the human mind, and therefore congenial to it. I'll talk more about this shortly, but first let me remind you that the Word on Wednesday is a ministry of the Anglican Connection, which is not just for Anglicans. Everyone is welcome. Furthermore, if you missed the recent online conference, for $30 registration, you can enjoy post-conference access to all the conference in your own time until May 31. You can register at www.anglicanconnection.com And now, a reading from the Bible. A reading from the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, When they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Aspects of Christianity can seem far-fetched to our 21st century minds. The miraculous elements make it seem like the story of Santa Claus or fairies at the bottom of the garden. But before we dismiss such events as pure fiction, it's worth remembering G.K. Chesterton's words about truth and fiction. Truth must necessarily be stranger than fiction, he said, for fiction is the creation of the human mind and therefore congenial to it. The Bible doesn't permit us to dismiss the difficult bits. The writers of the New Testament insisted on the authenticity of their record. In the opening lines of his account of Jesus, Dr. Luke tells us that he was self-consciously writing a history. He was setting down an orderly account of events that have been fulfilled among us. Luke's work is not a myth or legend that has the appearance of history such as Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Rather, he tells us that his record was verified by eyewitnesses. 
While Luke was not an eyewitness himself of the events he writes about, he did what Thucydides did. He verified his references with those who were there. I make these comments because today we turn to an extraordinary event recorded in the writings of Mark, Matthew and Luke. In Mark chapter 9 verse 2 we read, Six days later. Mark wants us to be in no doubt that just as the previous conversation had occurred, when Jesus had asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? So did the event that follows. Mark's record is specific. Jesus took three of his close followers with him to a high mountain, Peter and James and John. There were three eyewitnesses to this significant moment in Jesus' life. And what an astonishing moment it was. Jesus was transfigured, literally metamorphosed before them, and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. Mark couldn't find a metaphor for the dazzling brilliance and purity of the bright light that emanated from Jesus. The best he could do was to say that Jesus was brighter and purer than the very best soap manufacturers could provide. In both Luke and Acts, the reference to dazzling clothes describes a supernatural glory. Furthermore, two of the great prophets, Moses and Elijah, were also present and spoke with Jesus. In the conversation six days earlier, the disciples had answered Jesus' question about who people thought he was by saying, John the Baptist, or Elijah, or one of the prophets. And when Jesus had pressed them for their own view, Peter had replied, You are the Christ. But here on the mountain, it was obvious that Peter had not yet worked out what this meant. For as the visitors departed, he said, Master, let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. As Mark comments, Peter had no idea what he was saying. But before he could say anything else, a cloud enveloped them all, and they heard a voice. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. God the Father's words confirmed Jesus' identity. He is not only the Messiah, but also God's Son. The glory of Jesus on the mountain came from within. Peter, James and John witnessed the majestic glory of God incarnate. God the Father's words not only confirmed what they had begun to realise about Jesus, they also assured them of the authenticity of all that Jesus taught and promised. These words are also for us. Furthermore, Jesus' transfiguration was a foretaste of his appearing in all his majestic glory, a foretaste of his awesome messianic reign with its power, justice, goodness and compassion. Much later, Peter writes of this event in his second letter, chapter 1 and verse 16. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For the present, however, Mark tells us, Jesus asked the three of them to keep what they had seen to themselves. 
as we look at Jesus' transfiguration through the lens of his death and resurrection and ascension, we begin to see its greater significance. Imagine if Jesus had just disappeared after his resurrection and ascension. The witnesses would not know of his glorious appearance or his kingly power and authority. The transfiguration was a preview of Jesus in his post-resurrection state, informing and inspiring the disciples of their mission, in their preaching, and ultimately in their writings. And there are implications for all God's people. The day will come when we will share in the glory of Christ. In his letter to the Romans, chapter 8 and verse 18, Paul the Apostle writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. C.S. Lewis put it this way, If we let him, for we can prevent him if we choose, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror, which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, But that is what we're in for. Nothing less.
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Prayers for this week. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing that you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts, so that we, lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain from you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, we ask that you look on the heartfelt desires of your servants and stretch forth the right hand of your power to be our defence against all our enemies. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A prayer for peace. God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all people, and banish from them the spirit that makes for conflict, so that all races and people may learn to live as members of one family, and in obedience to your laws, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Sovereign Lord God, direct with your wisdom and power the leaders of the nations. Lord, give them such wisdom and understanding that they may restrain wickedness and vice and uphold justice and truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, the creator and preserver of all humankind, we humbly pray for all who are in any kind of trouble, sorrow, sickness, anxiety, or need. We particularly pray for those who lost loved ones through COVID-19. We thank you that a vaccine has now been produced and pray that it will be made available both speedily and fairly so that all peoples and nations may benefit. Father, we also continue to pray for people who suffer because of injustice, poverty, and powerlessness. Lord, enable us to share with others the material things that they need. Most of all, in your great mercy, bring comfort and hope through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died and rose to save us, and give us meaning and hope forever. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now let's pray for God's grace, love, and fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, Andrew Pearson, the Dean and Senior Minister of the Cathedral Church of the Advent, Birmingham, Alabama, and Catherine Jacob, a member of the Cathedral Ministry Team. The introductory and concluding music is from the Cathedral under the direction of Dr. Frederick Teardu and Zachary Hicks. The hymn, Holy, 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 is sung by the Chamber Choir of St. Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, under the direction of Ross Cobb. 
Prayers are drawn from an Australian prayer book, 1978, and the Bible reading is from the New Revised Standard Version. Please let us know if you have a question or comment about this podcast. It would be great to hear from you. Remember, registration for post-conference access is at www.anglicanconnection.com.